Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Well, she's got a lot of things on her mind to talk about talk now. About now to talk about. She's taking care of her voice so you know that she's not going to shout now. How does this sound? Let me ask myself, because I'm the one in the headphones. I think this sounds okay. Oh, I should start the podcast. (laughs) No fun. The Jen Kirkman Podcast, episode 379, being released to you on Wednesday, March 17th, 2021. Obviously, you may be listening to this on a different date, so please, please do spare me your emails. That's not the date. You understand that this comes out and then you choose when to listen to it. Thanks for being here. I am Jen Kirkman. I am a comedian. This is the No Fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast podcast. I have been doing this podcast since 2013. It used to be called I Seem Fun. You can go to jenkirkman.com and click podcast for all of the ways that you can subscribe. I'm assuming you're listening to it already on whatever platform you subscribe on. So stay there. Enjoy it. There's not one that works better for me. I don't care how you listen to it. Just listen to it. Just make sure you subscribe and please leave five-star amazing reviews wherever you subscribe. It does help the podcast get more attention. And that's what we all want is attention, right? And so uh, if you want to visit the archive and go back in time, again, that link, jenkirkman.com, click podcast, and you will find the link to go back and listen to the archives. Now, if you are new Welcome. What is this? I am Jen Kirkman. I'm a comedian. You may know my specials on Netflix. I'm going to die alone and I feel fine and just keep living. Now, those are comedy specials, jokes I wrote, traveled around the country, also the world, telling the jokes, perfecting the jokes, working on the performance. And then I taped the special when it was time to retire that material. So this is not as perfected as that. This is a weekly solo conversation where I talk about what's going on in the world and culture, in my head and in my life. It is completely unscripted off the top of my head for better or for worse. Will I sometimes get in trouble for things I say? Of course. And I don't mean in a cancel culture way. I just mean people will go, what? I can't believe you said that. And I'll go, I don't even remember saying that. Just talking off the top of my head. So there you go. It's a it's a conversation with a friend where you say nothing. I know this is very specific, but I always say this is a great podcast to do your dishes to, or if you need someone next to you as you drive over a scary bridge and you need some kind of mental distraction. So there you go. Now there is also a Patreon version of this podcast. And uh I might revisit I might visit that later in the episode but just know if you want the video version of this and if you want to know what I was talking about before I hit record on this audio recording that you are hearing because the video version has extra stuff in it then you head on over to patreon.com 
and uh, patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. And you can join up for five bucks a month. You get four videos a month. And each video has, again, some bonus podcasting that you will not hear here. Here, here. All right, let's just begin. Oh, my God. It is, wow. Whew. By the time this comes out, I will have been on some form of lockdown for one year. I'm assuming all of you. I went into, the last time I went out in public was March 13th. And I am really feeling, I know I've talked about this, and I'm, I'm sure I'll keep talking about some version of this. I'm mourning a little bit. There's an adjustment going back to life. You know, um, I feel a little overwhelmed. I mean, I know what my jobs are going to be this year. I will still be doing Patreon. I will still be doing the podcast. I am launching a new podcast called Anxiety Bites, which is coming. It's coming soon. I'm just waiting for to uh, meet my producer and all kinds of stuff with that. And I have some part-time TV writing gigs. But, you know, huh, it's a sort of one of those things where... I just have to do the mental health work to transition back into life. And I think, you know, I mostly don't even have to worry too much. I think I'm worrying too much about transitioning back to normal life because I think um, I think the way that the virus will keep mutating, the way the vaccines will roll out, and the way things will open again, it'll just sort of happen for me. The pacing will happen for me as everyone is vaccinated. Eventually, I will be able to go into homes of of people who are vaccinated. And when I'm fully vaccinated, when we're all fully vaccinated, we can get together and that, that'll happen slowly over the next few months. And then, you know, again, I do, I do have a part-time writing job. And when it becomes like, okay, time to get back in writer's rooms, that's probably not going to be for at least another six months before the unions allow that. And, uh, you know, I'm not going on the road this year, so there won't be hectic traveling in that sense. So I don't really know what I'm worried about. It's just sort of a vague anxiety about things changing. And, you know, remember a year ago when nature took over, when we really were all home for about a month and the smog lifted in Los Angeles? And I don't know, I don't know about other states exactly how it affected you all and other parts of the world, but nature was just taking over. There, there were you know, just things crawling around and coyotes roaming the streets and things blooming. It was just nature was so happy to have a break from us. And, I, you know, everyone was baking bread and just learning things and taking their time and calming down and, and, and saying, oh, th- I, I can't believe this. This is great. I, I hope to make this a part of my life. And I'm worried that everyone's forgotten that and they're all just back out rushing around. And if I don't rush around too, I'm going to lose work or lose something. I, I don't want to work on Fridays anymore. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, I don't know. I, 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 this, it's like an irrational fear that somebody is going to make me busy or make, I, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm, it's it, there's no words for it because it's an irrational fear. It's just a generalized anxiety, and you know I, that's what I deal with in life. Is I have generalized anxiety. It doesn't show up out of the blue. I'm not afraid of things I used to be afraid of, like driving certain places or flying. 
I don't have social anxiety, but I have this sort of don't make me do anything I don't want to do anxiety. You know, don't control my life. Don't suffocate me. Don't burden me. You know, things like that. You know, I need as much wide open space. I need as much free time as possible because life will life. Does that make sense? You know, somebody going to die. Your pet's going to get sick. Somebody's going to get sick. You might get sick. You know, there's going to be inconveniences that are suddenly time-consuming, emotionally-consuming, financially-consuming. So I build that in, you know, to my life every year. I just think I don't want to be so busy that when life lifes, I'm suddenly asking for a leave of absence for a job or quitting this or putting that to the side or letting this build up. I just want room to breathe. And that's what this pandemic gave me. Now, this pandemic also helped with something, but I'm, I'm fearing that it's over what, what this pandemic helped with. And for me, it helped with this lack of ambition that I was starting to feel in my career. And I'm telling you, for me, a lack of ambition is a really good thing because it calms me down. It allows me to not be jealous. Why did this person get that? Oh my God, the young people are so lucky. You know, I have all these preconceived notions about how easy it is to be younger because there's so many more opportunities in comedy. But then again, there's so many more people doing it. So I think it all just kind of evens out in the wash. There were less people doing it when I was starting to really climb and yet there were less places to do it in terms of streaming networks and everything from live to television to podcasting to whatever. There were less opportunities to put yourself out there and get paid for it, but there were less people doing it. So it all evens out in the wash. Any kind of worry is stupid. It really changes your innards. It poisons you. It makes you act like a jerk. And yeah, I feel a little bit like there's some things in my career that I wish would happen and I don't know why they're not. And I feel a little bit forgotten, you know, but so when, once I'm not ambitious, I don't have to worry about any of that. You know, if I read something, this person got their own show and I go, how the fuck did what? And if I go, well, I'm not in this business. I go, oh, so relaxing. And there was something about the pandemic where I was like, ha ha, nobody can do well because we can't do anything. And then, and then I realized I did you know, when you were not allowed to go anywhere and you don't know if you're going to die once you leave the house, if you're going to catch this or if someone you know is going to die, it just puts life into perspective. You go, I don't even give a shit. I mean, look how much can change suddenly. Look at all the plans we had for ourselves for 2020. Some of them were made in a fit of anxiety. This is the year I'm going to get this together. You know, not all of our plan making is from a joyful place. And none of us got to do them. And life just went, no, sorry, you're not in control, right? That was so relaxing for me. I loved it. That worked for me. Now, of course, it doesn't work for everybody, but it worked for me. It was really good for my psyche. And I remember thinking, I think this is finally who I am. I'm enjoying not comparing myself to others. I'm enjoying not worrying that I'll never work again. I'm enjoying blah, blah, blah. I'm able to just read a book. Life is just being alive and seeing friends, uh, you know, which I wasn't able to do. But, you know, um, life is just about enjoying yourself. And as long as I got money in the bank and I can work, I don't care if I'm, you know, 
having my wildest dreams come true. Oh, God, what is that anyway? I mean, this is time to just live an interesting life where I just find things I'm interested in and watch them on TV or read a book or read a magazine. I still feel that way. But there was no nagging feeling of you're failing, you're being forgotten, everyone's getting things and you're not. That that was gone. And that was a, a miracle. And it reminded me. So I call it, I'm having the September 18th, 20, 2001s. So in 9-11 on, in New York City, those who are regular listeners to my podcast know that I do reference 9-11 a lot. Because I think next to the pandemic, it's been the most impactful thing on my life. That was another example of this kind of global or at least American situation that just completely changed my life as I knew it. And so let, let me take you back to this story. It's, it's September 10th, 2001. I'm a comedian of, geez, not that long, less than five years. And, you know, I think the world owes me everything. And I'm bombing around the Lower East Side. Hanging out, doing shows every night. I've got my day job as an executive assistant to the president of a tech company, a dot-com that failed in the dot-com burst of 2001. I was coming from my other dot-com job that failed in 2000. I was really, I was really in the zeitgeist back then, guys. Everything you could experience in 2000, 2001, I was part of it. Dot-com bust, 9-11. So I'm walking around and I'm, and it's pouring rain. It's just, New York City is just saying, get out of here, everybody. I hate you. The rain was just gargantuan, torrential. And the hot alternative comedy show every Monday night at this place called the Luna Lounge. The comedy show was called Eating It. It was sold out beyond sold out, but usually comedians can get in and just hang out when it was like, no, don't even come in. We're against fire codes. And I'm like, I can't come in. I'm a comedian. Just in a bad mood. I don't know what I wanted. I wanted to be above the fire codes. Oh, it's Jen Kirkman. I wasn't there yet as a comedian. And even if I was, would I even want to be treated that way? It's just whatever. In a bad mood. Couldn't get in. Got my little flip phone calling a friend. She's not picking up. So I go out for drinks with some friends instead. Woo, boy, we get drunk. I got to be at work the next day early. I usually have to work at 10 a.m. But my boss had a big thing going on on 9-11. And he said, you guys need to come in at 9 a.m. Not too crazy, but if you're hungover and you stayed out till 3, that's crazy. I wake up and the sun is blinding me in the face. And I'm what the fuck? It was just torrentially pouring rain six hours. What the hell's happening? Oh, God, it's a beautiful day. God damn it. <laughs> a cloud in the sky. Oh, God, I'm so hungover. I'm 20, 26 and hungover. Oh, and I'm living in this crap apartment in Brooklyn. And oh, God, I'm still mad that I couldn't get into that Luna Lounge last night. I don't know. I'm just mad about everything. Where's my big break? Why aren't I being recognized for this great comedian that I am that I wasn't? I go on the subway, headed to work early. My subway, which was the F train, I would get on at the uh, 18th Street stop in Brooklyn. Part of the subway had an outdoor stop, and you could see the Trade Center from there. 
the plane must have hit right after. So I'm I'm on the subway. I'm looking out. I see Manhattan. There it is. Hello, Manhattan. I'm coming towards you for my job on 23rd and 6th or 21st and 6th. I'll get off at the 23rd Street stop. I see those two towers, and that's the last time I see them without them being on fire. And the subway goes underground. And 15 minutes later, I'm above ground at 23rd, and one of the towers has already been hit. So it happened sometime when I was underground. I don't notice it. Completely on fire, black smoke everywhere. I'm, you know, not close to it, but it's, I see it right there. If I had looked up, I mean. And I'm, me, 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 me. And now I'm calling my friend again, leaving her a voicemail on my little flip phone. And I'm like, I got to tell you, this, something's got to change. My career, blah, blah. And I'm getting a coffee at the coffee cart outside. And yeah, you guys know those cups that you love, those New York City coffee cups. I'm getting one of those. And the guy serving me kind of waves at me like, miss, miss, get off the phone. What are you doing? You know, I hang up and what? He's like, look, and he points. And I see the Trade Center burning. Oh. And he goes, yeah, it's crazy, crazy pilot hit that tower. And weirdly, there had been an incident the week before or, I don't know, a week or a month before where there was a drunk pilot. Um, I think it was of a private plane that crashed into something. So I, I thought, oh, it's none of these drunk pilots. I don't know. I didn't think it was terrorism. And so that didn't change my mood. I was like, oh, drunk pilot. My career still sucks. I'm bitter. I'm walking to work. I'm five minutes late. Then I go into work and everyone's screaming. A plane hit the trade center. I go, I know it's a drunk pilot. They go, another one did. And I go, oh my God, I think this is terrorism. And in that moment, I went, why am I worried about my career? Oh my God, I'm just lucky to be alive. I'm a 26-year-old. I'm hungover in New York City. I've got a great kind of good paying job as an executive assistant and I have great friends and I do comedy and I'm this is like the the life this is the life I wanted this is cool what am I doing oh my god my city's under attack the terrorists are attacking the city I live in and we don't know what's coming next and now like all the flights have been you know suspended and I go outside and I watch the towers fall and the entire city is taken over by you know the national guard and what's going on and oh my god and I thought I will never I will never again, 100% bet my life on it. I will never again worry about career. I am changed forever. I am only interested in the real things in life. And I am grateful every day now. And that did last until September 18th, 2001, (laughs) a mere seven days later, when comedy slowly started happening again and People were looking to go laugh. And people were starting to carry on with life as as we do as humans, as Americans. And there came that feeling again. Why don't I have what this person had? And I went, what? I was supposed to be changed. I can still smell the steel and the death. And I am worried about my dumb career. What am I, an asshole? No, I'm a human. I hadn't learned yet that things can affect and change you. And it did change me on a giant scale that day. But it doesn't fix you, change you, and fix you from the human condition are two different things. That experience was something that was added into my DNA. 
I can always reference it when I need to gain some perspective. Hey, Jen, you got pretty lucky that day. You didn't die. You didn't know anyone who died. And uh, you learned a lot that day. Pretty cool. Oh, yeah. That's perspective. Now I'm still that so that we have these life experiences so that we can call on them in our moments of being all too human when we are going back to worrying about things that are just petty and insignificant and really just our anxiety trying to have a party. Our anxiety is trying to have a party. And we're like, hey, anxiety, we don't need all this excitement, you know. And so once again, I was fooled thinking the pandemic had changed me forever. And in in fact, it did change me. It showed me a lot. It's just that I have to keep working. Like if I liked what it showed me about what I want and who I want to be, well, I don't just get to get off scot-free and have it change me as though I took a magic pill and now have the perfect body or eternal life. You know, it, You have to keep working on it. Like, great, how did it change you? What perspective did you gain? Now, great, how do you keep that perspective every day? Oh, okay, so I still have to work on the perspective. Yes, asshole. (laughs) Nothing fixes you. Every experience you have informs you, can change you. You've got to keep the change going. Oh, all right. So even me just talking it through like that helped, right? But I call it, I'm having a case of the September 18th, 2001. (laughs) Oh, God, I forgot to mention, I am part of the Misfit Toys Collective. That is the network that this podcast is part of. The the, the network I'm on is called Art19, but I'm part of the Misfit Toys Comedy Collective. We all have each other's backs. In that collective is a cup of tea and a chat, the Todd Glass show, Mike Schmidt's The 40-Year-Old Boy, Doug Loves Movies and Never Not Funny. I was on a recent episode of Doug Loves Movies. It's really great. You'll love it. Will I win big or lose in a blaze of glory? Only you can decide by listening. Well, you don't decide, but only you can find out by listening. I was on with um, hilarious uh, political comedian um, Frank Conniff, and I was on with Weird Al and of course, the host, Doug Benson, and myself, and we played a bunch of rousing games, talked about movies. I will uh, link to it in the show notes, if you, if you will, if you want. Anyway, so... There is an article about... Not quite what I'm talking about, but I saw it on BuzzFeed News. It's called How Introverts Feel After a Year of Lockdown. I thought that was interesting because I'm somewhat of an introvert. I know one thing. I really wanted a year off of the race I was in, the, the hustle and bustle of working a lot of jobs, touring. I just, I needed everything to fucking slow down so I could stop and think so I could have a minute to figure out what really I want to pursue in my career next. And sometimes I just, I'm kind of slow that way. I, I can't just go away for a weekend and think about it. I need like six months of nothing. And then I, have, then I go, oh, I think this is organically what I want. 
which is how I came to write that kind of big giant anxiety PDF, which again, if any of you have anxiety and you need help, I'm, I send you a confidential PDF file. It's very well organized. Don't feel overwhelmed. Obviously, you don't have to read all of it at once. It's broken up into sections, types of anxiety. There's tons of recommendations of books you can read. There's free articles that I link to, free podcast episodes that I link to. I think, And I write personal stories in there. So send an email to anxietybitesweekly at gmail.com and just write help and I'll send it to you and that's it. I also have an Instagram account. It's at anxietybitesweekly. And a few times a week, I post memes, uh, things that will help you, um, things that I've written, quotes from other people, and I post stuff in the stories section as well. So check that out. And that's also the best place to go so that you will know when I begin my Anxiety Bites weekly podcast to help people with anxiety. So this I will read you from BuzzFeed. And then this week, we're also going to talk about... This week in one of my tweets being taken seriously, which will be fun. Fairy gardens. What is this has always been a thing. What's happening? My thoughts on Meghan Markle and Prince Harry on Oprah. And maybe some other things here and there. And of course, listener emails. So let's get to this. This is from BuzzFeed. Michael Blackmon, BuzzFeed news reporter, wrote this. It's such an interesting, again, how introverts feel after a year of lockdown. So I am both an introvert and an extrovert. It's such an interesting feeling, said Alex Delaney, 28, a teacher who lives in Brooklyn. I fully identify as an introvert and like to spend time alone, but I've had more urges in the last year than ever to want to be at a club or go to a bar, which are places I would never go prior to the pandemic. It's funny, though, because I feel like once I do have the option to go to those places again, I probably won't. Delaney is one of thousands of introverts who responded to a call out from BuzzFeed News asking how the pandemic has affected them. It's easy to assume that for a group of people known to relish their alone time, a pandemic that encourages social distancing and isolation might paradoxically offer some great respite. It's not that simple, though. While a great portion of respondents noted that their desire for socializing has decreased during the pandemic, Others realized that they do like and even need a decent amount of hum- human interaction from time to time. Like Jane Eccles of Heartland, Wisconsin. I've almost forgotten what it's like when a person accidentally bumps into you in Target and you start chatting and you realize that your cousins went to the same college. She said, I miss the little things. Now this is Jen interjecting. That is my worst nightmare. I don't want to run into anyone. I, I really don't. I I don't like the thrill of not knowing who I might run into, how long I've been avoiding them in real life, and what they might say to me. Oh, I've got a great idea for a TV show. Oh, God, why did I go to Target? Back to the article. No two introverts are alike, which is to say that we don't all operate in the same way socially. As psychologist Jonathan Cheek told The Cut last year, there are at least four specific types or shades of introversion, social, thinking, anxious, and restrained. Social introverts tend to prefer smaller group settings over large gatherings and are okay with spending time alone. I think, I think that's me. Anxious introverts tend to avoid social interactions because of anxiety. I don't have that. While thinking introverts tend to be introspective when they socialize. Restrained introverts are more reserved in social settings. Oh, yeah, so I'm definitely a social introvert. I like a smaller group setting, and I'm okay with time alone. 
With great news on the vaccine front, the Biden administration recently announced that there should be enough doses for every adult American by the end of May. There's a palpable feeling that life may soon return to normal. The last year has compelled introverts to think more deeply about their social lives. And though it's not certain their disposition will change as the world inches toward reopening, some have at least considered making changes once that moment happens. It wasn't the case for everyone, but some respondents concluded that they would like to be more chatty, while others want to focus on striking more of a healthy balance between social time and alone time. I used to feel pressure to be social as often as possible, said Andrea, a 41-year-old who lives in Michigan. Lots of large group socializing and awkward small talk. It was so exhausting. Andrea lives with her husband and used to go out three to four times a week before the pandemic. Oh my God, seems like a lot. She likes to hang out in small groups of around two to five people as she becomes a wallflower and will disengage if the setting becomes more crowded. Being social is so intentional now, she said. Kenzie, a college student who lives in Bellevue, Illinois, feels similarly. In the before times, she said her social meter would be maxed out a lot as she would often see friends daily, go to classes, and do extracurricular activities in addition to a social hangout once or twice a week. I would tend to go home most weekends just to have a way to recharge, she said. Now Kenzie chats with her friends remotely a few times a week, meeting virtually every Saturday to play Dungeons and Dragons, though even when we have to take a break from that, we've still met up, she said. But after a year of social distancing, it will likely be an adjustment for Kenzie to revert back to pre-pandemic socialization. I miss my friends so much, don't get me wrong, but the idea of being around people for a full day sounds so emotionally draining to me now. Me too, oh my God. I used to sit in writer's rooms that started at 10 a.m. and went till 7 and just really no breaks and just blah, 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 blah. And then it's like, have dinner with someone after that. Oh my gosh, it's exhausting. Can't imagine it now. But it's going to have to go right back to that. There's not going to be this like, now everyone, we're going to have a built-in three-hour break <laughs> so that you can feel like you're back at your apartment or house during the pandemic. Huh. <sighs> I guess we're all just going to be a little bit weirded out and emotionally exhausted for like a few months while we're back in our routines. Some of us never left our routines. And to all of you, I say, uh, I don't know what, I, I see you. Um, Yes. So other people have uh, said that their social skills have atrophied during the pandemic. It's such a daunting thing right now to even consider having to return to this sort of performative ability to socialize. I'm just not sure. I currently have it in me, says Kenzie. While introversion has proven to be a great asset for some people during the pandemic, others have wondered if they should push themselves to be more gregarious in the future. Emily Laren, 28, who lives in Riverside, California, has realized that she likes being more social than she lets on. When I was younger, I had this mindset of doing important things alone and not relying on others, especially when it came to my career goals. I'm an introvert and shy, so being vulnerable and asking for help is something I have always struggled with. The pandemic, Laren said, made her more cognizant of how this approach was holding her back, especially when it came to her career. And once the pandemic ends, she plans to challenge herself to, quote, get out of my comfort zone, but in small steps, she added, I'm still an introvert at heart. Marina, 28, relocated to New York City 
from New York City to Santa Fe, along with her partner in the last year. Prior to the pandemic, she said she typically went out three to four times a week. Her desire to be more social has grown and comes in waves. New York City was great for Marina and her partner during the summer. Restrictions were lifted and they could eat out and spend more time with friends. But things changed when they got to New Mexico. The isolation and strict regulations out here have been brutal. Marina said she now feels a pull to be more social in her own life as she longs for interactions, not just with friends, but even with strangers like people at her coffee shop. I need a lot more socialization than I originally thought I did. And this whole situation has really forced me to take a look at what I need to do to be an active participant in my own life. Life may feel like it's on hold, but it's not. Ugh, this person, Jordan Carter, lives with her fiancé and their two dogs. She would often go out a few times a week pre-COVID. Before the pandemic, I thought I'd love working from home and that I wouldn't need any imposed structure. I love being alone and making my own structure. Turns out there's a limit on that. I desperately miss people and scheduled events. I miss everything from parties to those awkward, forced interactions I used to dread. Okay, I do not miss the forced, awkward interactions. There's a common misconception that introverts don't want to socialize at all, but both introversion and extroversion are on a spectrum. Elizabeth, a 50-year-old mom from Maryland, says she needs to have limits for social interactions. I can only handle about three hours in a group before I want to go home. I have found that I was more apt to reach out for interaction that I was craving when there was plenty to do. She enjoys being social, but there is a boundary to how often she wants to do it. Relatedly, she said her appetite for interacting with people has grown in the last year, though she attributes that to a perverse reaction to the circumstances. When you're told you have to stay inside, you want to go out just because you've been told you can't. And when you have all kinds of options to do things, you're very satisfied to stay home because you have options. Marin, 35, who lives in Fort Collins, Colorado, feels as though the world has finally caught up to her, a very introverted person who worked from home before the pandemic and who typically spends a good majority of her social time with her sister, whom she lives with. In this pandemic, for the first time in my life, my introversion is finally an advantage. Other people are losing their minds and I'm carrying on like normal. If anything, it's increased my self-confidence, Marin said. Like Marin, Brianna Maxwell, a 33-year-old woman living in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, has settled into herself more over that period of time. Maxwell said she's had so much more time to invest in my hobbies and passions without the guilt that I'm hiding away. In the future, once it's safe, she wants to travel more and experience things, but not necessarily with people. (laughs) Another woman, uh, Dasha, 32, who lives in Toronto with her family, said this has made her realize that she truly is a hermit and would like to pursue the hermit's way of life even after the pandemic is over. People really drain me and solitary activities are what fulfill me. She recently deleted all of her social media accounts in the last year and often found herself thinking, wow, this is me. This was me and this will always be me. I'm a hardcore introvert. I don't want to try and mimic extroverted behaviors anymore just because that's the social norm. I want to do what feels right for me. Um, And and that's how I feel, you guys. I want to do what feels right for me. And I want, I don't know. I don't know. Just there's, I'm having that generalized anxiety of don't make me dot, dot, dot. I don't know what, who's making me do anything. There is nobody making me do anything. 
Does anyone understand how I feel or you have your own version of this or anything in the article that you relate to? How are you feeling knowing that quite possibly sooner than we thought, right? You might have to go back to some semblance of, quote, normal. What, what, what are you feeling? Tell me. Tell me your deepest thoughts. I seem fun at gmail.com. And for the Patreon subscribers that are watching this now, that, that, that get this, see, if you join Patreon, uh, I know that you guys listening are listening on March 17th or later. The Patreon subscribers have had this episode for days because they get the video version early. Now, you guys don't leave this in the comments because Patreon to me is a is a uh, private space. So if you want to email me about this, email me about it. I'll read it on air. If you also want to write about it in the comment section on Patreon, please do. I love it. Just know that I don't read that on air. So if you want it read on air, also email me something as well. I seem fun at gmail.com. Now, again, let's just quickly go over the Patreon and what you get. Patreon is my job. It is not something I do for fun. I mean, it is fun, but I made sure that I do a fun job for fun. I mean, I made sure that I get paid to do something I love doing for fun, but I don't do it just like for no reason. Um, if you want to support the comedians you love, support me. Um, rapist Brian Callen has 5,730 something Patreon subscribers subscribers, I have 600. So, I mean, let's get my numbers up. So at five bucks a month, you get the video version, a weekly video of me in my home office. And again, that video version has extra bonus content. You also get a weekly, uh, a once a month, a one-time 20-minute audio bonus version of the podcast where I talk about something going on in pop culture. The $10 level gets two of those bonus 20-minute episodes plus a one-hour episode every month. That's an extra bonus. Um, There are unreleased stand-up sets that I taped on my phone when I was on tour that I put out there. And again, if you join now, you get all of last year's bonus material. So like you have a year's worth of bonuses to sift through. So it's a great deal. Of course, it goes up from there, 15 a month, 20 a month. The more you pay, the more little extra bonuses you get. So you know, do what you can. Some people join at a higher level and then they're like, shit, I need to budget better. And they knock themselves down to five bucks a month. I don't look, I don't notice who's doing what, you know, you do you, but uh, please do join. It is, it is, um, you know, what I'm doing instead of touring this year. And no matter how many vaccines you give me and how many people have them, um, it is not in my schedule to tour and there is no touring this year. Um, I will be spending a lot of my extra time trying to make a bi-coastal move uh, where I also will live in New York for half the year. Uh, I'd like that to be sort of my new life where I live both places um, for work and personal reasons to be closer to my family and also for work reasons. So I'll be busy with that this year. So um, there's especially no touring, but also because it's just... No touring right now. Okay, great. So that's how you can support me, patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. I promise it's a lot of fun. I really, really think you will like it. If you like this podcast, why wouldn't you like an even more intimate experience? One last thing. I also have my merchandise store. There is great stuff in there. And I am donating all of the proceeds that I get to keep to food banks across America And in March, the food banks I'm donating to are in Mississippi and Oklahoma. 
Those food banks really, really, really need it. Um, that area was hit hard this year with the crazy winter storms. They were affected by the power grid bullshit in Texas. So please shop for a good cause. My merchandise has all kinds of fun sayings that you may remember from my act or things I've said on the podcast. You can get your anxious and fun merchandise. I meditated today, motherfucker. Women are literally humans. Rich bitch. All kinds of fun stuff. Go to jenkirkman.com and click shop. You can also just click the link in any of my various bios uh, on social media, at Jen Kirkman on Twitter, at Jen Kirkman on Instagram, and the link is in the bio there. So should be pretty easy. And then, of course, link in the show notes to the merchandise store. So there you go. I think that should be it right now for all of my various, uh, you know, what do you call it? Promotion. So now we can talk about some other things. All right. This week in tweets being taken seriously. I don't know what's happening to Twitter. I really don't. It's like a bunch of squares found it. And, you, you know, I'm not blame, it's not a generational thing. I'm not like the kids are here and they've ruined it. It's not that. It's just a type of person has joined Twitter. I've talked about this before. So I was trying to make a joke about um, the vaccines, right? We've got three viable vaccines. Then we get the, the, the Johnson & Johnson, the new one, the one shot. We've got the Moderna and we've got the Pfizer. Now, I personally, to me, the Pfizer sounds like the best bet. It seems like it has a lot of protection even after just one dose. Uh, I, I like that it's, I like the Pfizer. Okay, then there's the Moderna. Then this Johnson & Johnson. Oh, it's like less, it has a less high percentage. Like it's like 75% effective, but it was tested over here and the variants. There's all different reasons to love each vaccine. But every, uh, whatever you call it, epidemiologist, every, um, you know, presidential administration, point person, doctor, healthcare front-facing media person says, just get any vaccine you can. They're all great. Just relax. We wouldn't release them if they weren't great. You, you, it's going to decrease your chance of catching it, of getting it severely and dying. Get the goddamn vaccine. Just get what you can. Put it in your arm, as they say. I hate that. We're going to get as many vaccines into arms. Is the extra words you don't need. We know where vaccines go. It might even make people feel anxious. Why are you saying that? When have we ever said vaccines into arms? I mean, we know what you mean. Maybe they're just trying to say there's a difference between getting a vaccine to a city and actually getting it into your body. I get that. And they're trying to say, when we tell you that 2 million vaccines are going to be hitting, you know, Idaho this week, we don't just mean and then they're going to sit in a warehouse and expire. We actually have a plan to get them into you. So I guess they do have to say that. It just annoys me. Okay, anyway. So my tweet was, the way the scientists or the whatever the word is, I just said scientists because it just is a catch-all for me. I didn't want to say epidemiologists or inventors of the vaccine or Dr. Fauci or I just was just because I didn't want people criticizing. I just said a catch-all word scientists. The way scientists talk about the different COVID-19 vaccines is the way that parents have to talk about their kids. No, they're all great. Seriously, there isn't one I love more than the others. The implication is that, yeah, of course, there's one you like the best. Of course, there's one that's like, oh, I don't know. Is that one going to see us through? Is this, this one seems to be a high achievement. It was a joke. It's a joke. Of course, I know that behind the scenes, scientists probably say different things or whatever you call them. Epidemiologists, front-facing people in the media. What, who care? All the people, the people that tell us what to do on the TV. It's just a silly joke. Just a, 
But I mean, when I say joke, I'm not even like defending it as this like, oh my God, are you going to belly laugh? Because it's Twitter. It's just like a silly thought. Twitter. Do you know what to Twitter, twiddle, tweet? It's like twit, twit. It, it's, it's, I, I understand the meaning of Twitter. You're Twittering your time away. You're Twittering around. It's just, bleh, it's nothing. So I even hate getting defensive going, it's a joke. Because then people go, it's not that funny. I go, of course it's not that funny. It's Twitter. This isn't a professional comedy show. It's Twitter. People sit on the toilet and tweet. This is Twitter, you know? So somebody wrote, after I wrote, scientists talk about the different COVID-19 vaccines, the way that parents have to talk about their kids. They're all great. Seriously, no, there isn't one I love more than the others. This guy wrote, go to a real lab meeting. You might find a different conversation. That's why these things that are approved are working. And please don't conflate real scientists with spokesfolk at the pharmaceuticals. Oh my God, kill yourself. I know I shouldn't say that. And I've had so many friends die from suicide. I'm not, I'm not, just please let me say something harsh. Fuck off. Like, just get a life. What is wrong with you? What? Within three, I mean, this is, this, this can't, this, ah, I have no words. I don't even know how to articulate this. I don't need, I feel, just, no, stop, stop this. Stop behaving this way. Grown ass adults. I'm a comedian. So then I engaged with this guy because I was like, what's up with this person? I go, what? And he's like, I, I just wrote, I'm a comedian. And he wrote, oh, I didn't know. I just follow you for some reason. See, this is my theory. This is why when everyone's like, you've got so many followers, you've made it. I go, not one of them knows what I do. They're not buying my work. No, they're just, they just follow people. He goes, well, interesting philosophical discussion to be had. Like, then he wanted to introduce a topic that I'm not interested in about like joke. I don't even know, like uh, accuracy. And the is there, a, is there a similarity between like, philosophy and science and comedy yeah of course there is. you're boring me here i don't want to you're boring me here <laughs> which brings me to a listener email i wanted to actually address i think this is a perfect time to bring this up um this is from lisa she says uh where is it oh hey jen you made a comment in, in your book or stand up or somewhere uh, I wondered, what, you said you struggled to hang out with people, women mostly, who weren't comedians. Have you ever met someone who is not a comedian and that was funny and not a douchebag wannabe? Um, see, this is the problem right here, is uh, I hate that anything I say lives on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some people love it. I wish everything I said would just disappear. Um, I don't remember where I said that Um Maybe it was a book. Maybe I know what you're referencing, Lisa, and thank you for writing and, and listening to the podcast. Um, I, I, I didn't say that women, that I can't hang out with women who aren't comedians. Um, three of my best friends are women who aren't comedians. M- most of my friends are not comedians in real life. Uh, I don't have fancy showbiz friends. I, ha- I have real, real friendships with people I've known a long time. And a lot of my friends are comedians, and that's great, too. But the reason that I don't want to hang out with non-comedians, some, what I was talking about specifically with what you heard was a lot of men comedians marry women who aren't comedians, which is totally fine. The women are incredible. But there have been times 
when, if I go to a gathering where there are a lot of men comedians with their wives who aren't comedians, I might be more in the mood to hang out with my work tribe than my gender tribe. And I will get thrown into the gender tribe by my work tribe men. And they'll be like, go talk to the wives. And then if I'm single, then that's all the wives want to talk about. Are you dating? Blah, blah, blah. And I have to talk about these women things. And it's annoying. Or like sometimes they're weird because I am in a work relationship with their husbands and they kind of like will say things like, oh my God, my husband does this thing where he comes home after a show and he has so much energy and I'm just like blah, blah, blah. And I relate more to the husband because we're in the job tribe. And so it, it was just like a funny passing comment. Like everything I say shouldn't be so um, given so much Wait, like I am an ever-changing person just like everyone else. I say something, it's half true. You know what I mean? I I think, um, you know, Jerry Seinfeld talks a lot about like, even though he's this like billionaire, he's in the Hamptons, he's A-list. You know, when he goes to a party, he wants to talk to the weird guy that he knows is uh, a writer for a late night show because he relates to them more. Now, again, I think the common misconception is because we think these people are funny. I ain't looking to laugh ever. Like my friends that aren't comedians crack me the fuck up. Like my dearest friend Liz from college that I met on day one because we were assigned as roommates. Like we have a coffee date every other Sunday and We've had this, she lives in New York. We would get coffee every Sunday. And then in the pandemic, we've kept it up. And I like literally go, Liz, I stole your personality. Like, I mean, like, and I brought it on stage. Like, thank you. You know, I mean, I'm kidding. But like, I got a lot of my funniness from, you know, you hang out with your friends and you develop these um, inside jokes and these personas and these things. And and, uh, I brought it to the stage, you know, um, I, I laugh all the time at my friends that aren't comedians because they're they're just people are funny. It's people that are trying to be funny because they know I'm a comedian that annoy the fuck out of me. And you meet a lot of those people, which is why um, I don't want anyone to know what I do when I go to a party because I immediately get treated differently and people try to be funny. And honestly, all comedians want to talk about is n- not comedy. Um we're very neurotic. We want to talk about various illnesses or death or our medications or, or depression um, or just anything. But but uh, or we want to talk shit about other comedians. I mean, it's just sort of, you know, we're tribal, you know, and uh, and at the same time, I'm not tribal because there's a lot of comedians that are sexist assholes and rapists and pigs. And, you know, so it's it's just sort of like it's interesting when when someone might read something I wrote in a book, because this is, you know, we, we all have the. I always call it small F fantasy where you kind of in the back of your mind are just assuming how something's going to go when you're doing it. And it's nothing you're hanging your hopes on that will crush you if it doesn't happen. It's just sort of like when I got my first book deal, like small F fantasy, the the wheels that were turning in my head as I was writing the book was, oh, if this book does well, I'll write a new book every two years. And it's like you kind of just vaguely think and everyone that's ever going to buy the book will buy it right away and read it. And if new people find me, um, they will find me based on my newest book and they'll understand totally who I am and maybe they'll go back through the collection. But mainly I'll just have an audience that the first book, I'll capture this big, wide net, huge audience. Then they'll buy the second book and then they'll forget what I said in the first book because they'll understand that I'm growing and changing. I never thought that I would write a book and some people found it and then no one really found it. And 
eight years later, some people are just finding out about me and they're just watching a special that I wrote 11 years ago and emailing me like, I so relate. I'm you. And I'm like, I'm not even me anymore. And it's just weird. It's like, I thought everyone would be like marching along with me and growing. And and so it's weird. It's like, wait, what did I say? Oh, I don't know. You know, and it, and it, and it's not to say that like you shouldn't take anything I'm saying seriously or you don't even know this person that talks to you every week. But it's just more like it's it's harder when people find out about me later in a weird way because uh, it's that awkward thing of I meant it at the time and it's a big part of who I am and there's nothing wrong with if I've changed my mind about it. It doesn't mean you're stuck in some area you shouldn't be. It just means I that is part of me because it was part of me. But now but I'm not getting another book deal or another special. So I have no way of telling people who I am (laughs) except through this podcast. So it's always weird when someone mentions something I said once and I'm like, oh, that's not what I meant. But actually, that's why I'm glad I had the podcast because now someone who read a book can ask a question and I can go, this is what actually that meant, which is what a great thing to be able to have a podcast. So anyway, thanks, Lisa, for listening. Thanks for writing. Um, Okay. What did I say I was going to talk about? I said listener emails. I said something else, too. The fuck was it? Oh, fairy gardens. Okay, so I've been walking around my neighborhood now for a full year. I never used to take walks in my neighborhood. I would just drive to this place, which is half a mile away, and go hiking. And now it's like, I like hiking, but... Sometimes I don't always want to go up a hill. I just want to kind of walk around the neighborhood for an hour. I just want to like leave the house without getting in the car. So I've noticed these fairy gardens. And I'm like, is this a COVID thing? Or have kids always been doing fairy gardens? Because it's really cute. And there are so many in my neighborhood. And and by my neighborhood, I mean there's like a three-mile radius that I walk around. And I don't even know what the point of them is. Like there's a lot of painted rocks under trees and it's not in people's yards per se. It's like there's the yard, then the sidewalk, then that, you know, strip of public grass and tree in front of someone's house. And so when you're walking down the sidewalk, you'll see, oh, there's like a rock garden and some, you know, little kids were leaving these really cute notes of inspiration. And, and you know, a lot of that was pandemic related and and sidewalk chalk that that said things. And there were little interactive things you could do, like leave a note here. And and I think it's just really sweet. I, I just thought like, well, maybe I because I'm not a mom. I don't know that this has always been a thing. And, and since I never walked around my neighborhood that I've lived in for eight years that I didn't notice it. But um and that's really, that's all I had to say about that. Well, I thought that was going to be a bigger topic. Well, there was an, another, I don't want to be like miss like complaining about social media, like I'm a Ricky Gervais special or something. But um, I took a picture of this fairy garden and it actually wasn't a picture of a fairy garden. It was a picture of what used to be a fairy garden, but it was just sort of an empty space now with like one rock left. And there was a sign that said to whoever stole my daughter's fairy garden, um, you know, what is wrong with you? You need a psychiatrist. And just to let you know, everyone in our family tested positive for COVID. So I hope everything you stole, you know, watch out. Uh, We had COVID the last time we touched it. And I took a picture of that. And I was like, this is, you know, upsetting and hilarious. But just I thought that was interesting. So I posted it on Instagram. And once again, I got called wealthy. Can you guys understand how often this happens to me? (laughs) And what is going on? Why does everyone who follows me hate me? What is happening? This, 
this woman who clearly doesn't know what a fairy garden is goes, well, you're wealthy. Why don't you buy her a new one instead of posting this on the internet? I'm like, you don't buy a fairy garden. It's something a child makes where they paint rocks. What am I going to sit and paint rocks? for? A and she goes, you live in a neighborhood with fancy, expensive houses. By the way, never taken a picture of a house in my neighborhood. By the way, there's totally beautiful, expensive houses in my neighborhood. There's also apartments. It's a city suburb, you know? Um, some of the fancy houses are brand new. And if you have $4 million cash, you can buy it. Some of them are like, maybe now they're worth $1 million and they've been around since 1930. And someone's just lived there for 30 years. Like, it's an everything kind of neighborhood. Again, it's a city suburb. So anyway, uh, and she goes, why don't you use the Nextdoor app? I'm sure you use that because you're wealthy. I don't use the Nextdoor app because I don't own my own home. And I always think of it as like a homeowner's thing. Um, and she's like, so maybe check your privilege before posting stuff like this. I'm like, what? Are white people okay? Because it's always white people. <laughs> what is wrong? Everyone's crazy. Everyone's anxiety is spilling out onto the internet. And by the way, I have zero, like me, my whole podcast has been 55 minutes of here's my anxiety. And then other people have it. If it affects me in any way, I'm like, you're all crazy. <laughs> I, I want nothing to do with your weird anxiety, where you call me rich for walking two miles away from my own home, past a very non-fancy house, and taking a picture of a funny note where there used to be a fairy garden. Now, I don't know how that makes me wealthy, but I'm astounded that that woman is not on, say, Whitney Cummings' page, who's getting plastic surgery during the pandemic and not wearing a mask and riding a horse and all over her own property and not writing, check your privilege. What is my privilege? I walked by a fairy garden. What in the holy fuck is happening in my social media? Dear Jesus, baby, adult, and teenaged, can you please bring me for Easter? Forget the eggs and the candy. I don't need it. Can you please bring me followers who understand me? What, what did I do wrong? <laughs> I mean, what's happening? Okay. Um, I didn't watch the Golden Globes because I don't care. And I'm not trying to sound cool. I just don't care. Um, sometimes I'm in on it. I just, who cares? Um, but I, I'm the only person I know who watched Ethan Hawke's show. It's on his show, but he starred in, although he wasn't really the star. He was, um, I mean, it was about, whatever. The Good Lord Bird. It was on Showtime. It was about white abolitionist John Brown, who is a real person who worked uh, with Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman in some ways. And he is the wild and crazy, Jesus-loving, slave owner-hating white man who basically kicked off the Civil War with a very, very ill-planned raid. Um, I believe it was on Harper's Ferry. It's incredible. It's such a good show. And uh, I highly recommend it to anybody. And his acting is superb. And he lost to Mark Ruffalo, who to me is America's most boring actor. You can send me your angry emails and explain his technique. He's a boring. I like some of the movies he's in. He's a boring. And he's one of those dudes that didn't get into politics until 2016. And he's just like fracking. And I'm like, can we not? We're not. We're, this fascism. How about that F word? Fascism. Let's focus on getting the fascists out. Then we can talk about fracking. But don't make your whole life about fracking when the fucking fascist 
Please, calm, just please. He's so, and, and the, the acting is so boring. I can't take it. I couldn't believe he won. I don't even know what he won for. I don't care. Uh, angry when I heard it, I said, forget it. I was really looking forward to a good Ethan Hawke speech. We have all been denied that. And I'm pissed. Pissed, I tell you. A show that I'm watching now that I highly love. I wouldn't even say recommend because you watch what you want. I don't know. I'll just tell you what I love and you can check it out or not. I, I have no, These people, the recommenders, oh my God, you have to watch this. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do anything. Very contrarian about this. I love this show called Call Your Agent. Now in France, it's called like 2%, 2%, like 10%. Um, it's a French show. And if you watched Emily in Paris, but found it to be uh, stupid because it is, but you enjoyed Paris, this show is really what you should be watching. Um, it's a one hour and it's about these, uh, you know, agents like showbiz agents in Paris who are trying to figure out a way to keep their agency going after the, the head of it dies and his wife wants to sell it off. And they're also always having these infights about uh, making deals for certain actors. But what I love about it is one of the actresses in the show is 88 years old. She's just one of the agents. And she just happens to be 88 years old. Like, she actually looks younger than 88, whatever that means. But she just happens to be one of the, like, hardened agents that's worked at this place forever. And no one's like, oh, my God, you're 88. It's just like, there's an 88-year-old. And uh, some of the episodes are about actresses over 40 not getting parts, but they very much make fun of America and our plastic surgery stuff. And there's no, like, perfectly done, undone hair. It's, like, totally Parisian, like, messy hair, big scarves, just such casual dressing. There's a lot of Paris, like, location shots, so you just get to see the inside of real restaurants, not just the ones that you would want to see, you know, uh that tourists know about just it's real Paris and it's subtitled, which helps me focus because if I'm not reading, I can't, don't know what's happening. So it helps me not like start checking my phone while I'm watching. And then I realize I'm just listening to something and I've totally tuned out. So I love it. It is just, it's addicting and it's not necessarily suspenseful or overly dramatic. The stakes are pretty commonplace, but I really love it. I love the acting. I love the characters and it's just so French and uh, there's a, adults in it. There's middle-aged people in it unapologetically. And nobody is really spectacularly gorgeous. It's just people. Oh, God, it's amazing. And 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 as if I take it back to the beginning of this um, podcast, um, it's watching stuff like that that reminds me... Uh, I'm just in a very bizarre business that is made to make you crazy. I mean, it's not made to make you crazy, but you will be made crazy. It is just, there's no way not to be made crazy being in it. And uh, God, I wish I lived in Paris. I really do. Oh, God. Maybe I should ask baby adult and teenage Jesus for that instead of something to do with followers on the internet. Oh, boy, I just wasted a wish. Go to a real lab meeting. <laughs> okay, let's just read a couple other listener emails and then we'll peace the fuck out until next week. 
Jen, I'm listening to this week's podcast and I know exactly what you mean. I'm really going to miss myself when things change. This is another thing about kind of similar to what we're talking about today with the pandemic. For the last year, I've been taking weekly 10-mile walks through the hills, often listening to you. Oh, thank you. And once the busy, busy, busy starts again, I probably won't have time for that. Although just like you predicted, people might do. I have been able to look at my life differently and I'm cutting down on my work hours. I'm only going to work four days a week. I've decided time with me is more important than money and I'm proud of that decision. Um, thanks for everything, Terry. Thank you, Terry. Uh, Jen, your recent episode, Women, where you shared your story about talking to a woman who was having sex with a ghost, reminded me of a hilarious moment from back when I lived in Halifax, Nova Scotia in the early 2000s. The established daily, called the Chronicle Herald, had a columnist, Peter Duffy, who was a conservative blowhard known for taking stances against indigenous rights, feminism, and any measure that might narrow the gap between the rich and the poor, at least when he wasn't summing up episodes of Coronation Street. This is not some weird metaphor. He actually did that. But in December 2006, he published two columns about how he was raped by a ghost and proceeded to interview three experts to help him process it. To be clear, I take rape and rape culture very seriously. I in no way want to make light of this actual cultural phenomenon. Did Duffy's nighttime visitation make him a more sympathetic person to the issue of rape culture, though? The evidence suggests not. Of course, he didn't grow up in a society that legitimized ghosts preying on the living, that asked living people what they were wearing while they were sleeping, and why they didn't take proper precautions to protect themselves from ghost rape. Ghosts will be ghosts is, to my knowledge, not a common saying anywhere in the English-speaking world. So I guess it remained a bridge too far to cross in Duffy's mind. I remember my roommate telling the rest of our household about the article and how she read it out loud as the rest of us barreled over laughing with tears streaming down our faces. Evidence uh, of these columns that Duffy wrote about his ghost rape have largely been scrubbed from the internet. Um, And then Sean wrote back, Dear Jen, after further reading that Google group that I sent you, I should clarify the person who preserved the Duffy columns is also an asshole. And I'm just referring to how I was glad I found this because Peter Duffy's column about being raped by a ghost was preserved, not the commentary that accompanies it. Whoops, serves me right for not reading the full text before sharing. Sean. <laughs> well, I don't actually, here we go again. I don't remember exactly what I said in that episode when I said this woman at a party was telling me that she was having an affair with a ghost, but I think I was trying to avoid talking about anything upsetting, but Her story did start by her telling me she was raped by a ghost. And then she started telling me that it slowly became consensual. And I was like, I I don't know what's happening. Like, (laughs) so if I hadn't said that, that is actually how the story started. And Sean, I don't know. I mean, I think I would wager a guess that deeper psychological problems are going on when people say that happened to them or it's very intense dreams. Um, The whole thing is crazy. Okay, this is from Lauren Jen. I love your book, Stand Up, listening to your podcast. As I walk through New York City, I miss New York. 
is such a fucking pleasure. Fucking thank you. I love hearing and appreciate your opinion and take on everything, especially things related to science, your spiritual questions and discoveries, being a female and how men don't understand about being harassed, gross men who abuse their power, making the choice to not have children without guilt or shame and enjoying being single in between relationships. I loved, loved, loved your episode gross where your inner fire and gorgeous intelligence made important point after genius important point when you treated tweeted gross about comedy clubs booking that asshole rapist comedian. I re-listened to that episode whenever I'm in a situation where I need to stand up for myself. The precise anger and conviction is how I feel about people who ignore obvious red flags about Woody Allen. It was a relief to hear your opinion so far on Allen v. Farrow. I would love to hear your opinions after you listen to Dr. Sherry Venino, a forensic psychologist and clinical psychologist who specializes in child and adolescent sexual abuse on the Alan V. Farrow podcast. She talks with the filmmakers, and it is very educational and interesting, and I would love to hear your thoughts after you listen. I did listen. I don't have any further thoughts. I might, after the fourth episode of Alan V. Farrow airs, just talk in general about my thoughts on everything. So, But my thoughts remain that I was groomed by his work to think it was normal to date teenage women, especially because I was a teenage woman at the time and thought that I had no more growing and learning to do and just didn't understand what was weird about it. And now it's just, it's a whole thing, but I'll talk about it on a different episode. But uh, she goes on to say, like you, my mom and I were both fans of Annie Hall and Michael Jackson. I was heartbroken after watching Leaving Neverland, but it was educational and important to see. Even as a female in her 40s who has never wanted children, I think it's important to educate myself about any kind of red flags, child abuse, grooming, adult abuse, the patriarchy, narcissists like Woody Allen, and anything regarding the psychology of abuse in any form in order to help pass along what I've learned to friends and family members who do have children in order to keep them safe and to women in my life to help keep them safe from abusive men. My mom was a psychologist and was heartbroken when the news first broke about Dylan Farrow and Suni. She loved Woody Allen, but because of her education, she knew that it was true that he was a pedophile, and we never watched any of his films after that. He wrote letters to a 13-year-old girl and asked her to meet him in a hotel in New York. She did, but came with two guardians, which he wasn't expecting, so the meeting was kept short and she never heard from him again. Why the fuck would he be writing letters to a 13-year-old girl? And that's only one documented story that we know about. She kept his letters and published pieces of them as an adult and became a writer herself. Fucking gross. I'm angry, but grateful that Alan V. Farrow has made, has been made and that people like you exist Um uh, listen, there's too many compliments in this for me to keep reading because it sounds like I am being a narcissist. Anyway, I wish every remarkable thing you have given to me returns to you multiplied. Thank you, Lauren. All right. Is there like a happy emo? I mean, not that that wasn't happy, but is there anything that isn't about everyone abusing everybody that I can read about? Um, oh, this is from Kevin, one of my favorite uh, people that sends emails. He's always so insightful. Kevin says, Jen... I relate so much to the constant self-prefacing, especially online. In fact, it's something I talk about with my analyst a lot. Yes, I have an analyst. I am very fortunate to have a job where I have a health care plan that I can afford and that allows me to take care of my mental health. See? Prefacing. Of course, there are nuances and the necessary messiness of growing and learning and integrating what it means to be part of a historically dominant group for me, white cis male, and a historically marginalized group for me, the G in LGBTQ. But so many of us on the left get defensive when critiqued about call-out culture, for lack of a better term. Many of these critiques are in bad faith, of course, but there are many informed good faith critiques that should be taken seriously. 
I grew up as a fundamentalist evangelical Christian. I bought it hook, line, and sinker. Years later, after I'd come out and deconstructed nearly from all religion, I got involved in blogging in the early and mid-2010s. It wasn't long before I encountered this righteousness culture on Twitter and elsewhere online. I did learn some things and grew in many ways as a result, but I can't tell you how similar it felt to being in the fundamentalist Christian culture. The shaming, the emphasis on language and behavior modification, the strict rules of engagement, and the absolute purity of ideas all made me feel like I was back in church. It literally makes my throat and chest feel tight. Another reason why it felt so similar is that I believe deeply in all of these justice issues, just like I believed deeply in that faith back then. Fortunately, I think that many more activists, intellectuals, and other people in the public sphere recognize that this phenomenon is a real detriment to true personal and societal growth. I hear more and more about the danger of othering people who don't believe the same, the toxicity and harm of using shame as a tool of justice work, the importance of inner work. Maybe I'm simply spending my time on better resources. So there you go. Feel free to share or not share if you think any of this is interesting. Who knows? You or others may disagree in part or with all of it. In any case, thanks for always sharing your experiences. Kevin. Yeah, if anyone has any thoughts on that, uh, iseemfun at gmail.com. Send an email. Keep the conversation going, right? This is just a conversation between all of us. Oh, my God. I get to have the rest of the day off after I click this off. I am going to enjoy the rain and maybe another episode of Call Your Agent. Until next week, you guys, take some time for yourselves, if you can, and have fun. Have fun. 